Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls. I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him. I just have Yanni use his. Then I don't have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. Tonight. What's happening, all my woods people? We are sitting here dreaming about apartments and <laughs> with our back to this Brookshire's parking lot right here, waiting on the madhouse to clear out so I can go get some jalapenos, cook some ducks. Um, I am. I'm cooking ducks tonight, That's actually. Tasty. Christmas Eve ducks. I did the exact same thing, but not with ducks yeah. for our Christmas tonight. I did uh, with whitetail tenderloin. So, right, yeah. dude. Yeah, right. just a little gamey Christmas up in here. That's good, man. Yeah. That's good. Um, we were just talking whitetails, and we decided we should probably cut the mics on. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to do that. Yeah. Um, but we we ha- we just released a video, and it's something that you need to go watch because it was probably like if you combine us as the element, um, it was probably the craziest complete evening of hunting that we've had as a as a team or whatever you want to call us of the two guys here at the element hunting and it was like big deer everywhere man uh they really it's not just one evening but uh the one evening was crazy yeah. dude like one of the biggest eight points i've ever seen was 50 yards from you dude and what's weird is like you look at him in that film and he just looks normal but you cannot get a grasp for how big his body is dude, but he doesn't slob. look he doesn't he doesn't have that like, whoa, look at that tank uh, on his body either. He's just very proportional. Just He's just a large critter. Dude, he's large, yeah. man. Like, what, what gives away the size to me especially is when, when you look at his body, you know he's a tank body. Mm-hmm. And then you see, like, he'll, like, lift his head up and you see how heavy his, brow, or his uh, bases look. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know. You're like, that big animal also has big bases. Like, yeah. He's probably got a big head, so if his bases look big, that means they're even bigger than you think. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
Man. What, what gave it, it away for me was that Doze had been standing in the exact place like 30 minutes before, and I got to like looking like at shoulder height and stuff. I was like, he's a good seven or eight inches like taller that, than those other deer. That doe just left out underneath him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's that was uh, definitely pretty awesome. I uh, I loosed an arrow, which is real cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Somehow, it was a crazy afternoon for me. I ended up basically... From about 2 p.m. on, uh, uh, having a mindset on three different properties, uh, hanging on or hunting on uh, a property that I got kicked off on public land. Uh, if you listen very often, you've probably heard that story, but got kicked off, ended up uh, uh, getting a shot at an awesome 10 point. So I won't give away all of it, but it's definitely worth going and watching. It's, uh, it's kind of long, but hey, it's uh, holidays, so you've got time, right? You know, that's you, right, man. You're gonna be sitting around, like, uh, hang out with your family as much as you can, and then when things get real weird or people start talking politics, just go watch Elements. That's right. Or if everybody's just sitting there watching football or something, it's like, well, I mean, it's halftime, so I'm yeah. just gonna turn on this deer hunting video. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, Show yeah. actually put it on the big screen for your for your family. Yeah, yeah. that would be great, <laughs> especially the the weird politic people in yeah. your family. Yeah, <laughs> give it to them. You know, luckily I don't run into that too much in my family. Yeah. It's it's all pretty. I mean, that's kind of the one of those Bible Belt kind of things. I think yeah. you know, there's quite a few families around that are all like there's. The moderate conservatives and the ultra conservatives, yeah. you know, and those are who sure. fight. <laughs> it's like we can get along, you know. Yeah. It's like you're kind of crazy because of the things you're talking about right now, and you also are in a bike gang, you know. But like, it's okay. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the the video is worth watching, and, and um, hopefully, you can keep you out of some political conversation that may be uncomfortable. That's for right. You, That's so. right. The conversation we're gonna have today, yeah, uh, with our guest is something that we all kind of deal with and um minnesotans that deer hunt that's right yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> no, the thing okay. we talk about on holidays Another but, joke. Uh, like the concept of the late season and it's something that people talk about a ton but i think it's because none of us have figured it out yet and it's a tough time of year like it's it's one of those deals where you understand what the deer are going to have to do they're going to have to eat to survive because it's cold right and mm-hmm. cold is relative like uh, right now it's 71 which is completely not cold but that's whatever <laughs> then really the thing with the late season is that um it's the shortest length of daytime so that means there's a lot of dead stuff so the deer don't have a lot to eat even if it's not cold so mm-hmm. either way they have to find a way to find some food and the thing to do is to go find the food well it's just not as easy. And so what it sounds man. like, I have a hard time this it, time of year, I think, man. I think that it's relative. It's just like we talk about with dudes around here. There are yeah. dudes that live here uh, in our area in East Texas that we know live around our hometown that kill every year they kill a nice buck. Mm-hmm. And it really is just like a matter of that guy has access to a pretty good property. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily that he's rich or whatever. You know, like it's just this dude, his uncle has 43 acres that's in the right spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And the 43 next to it is okay. Mm-hmm. And that guy may kill one every other year or every two, three years. And same thing on the other side. But for some reason, this guy is on the river or whatever it might be. And so he kills every year. And I think that that is kind of the thing with the late season sometimes is if you have the property or the access to some property that has the food source that they prefer this time of year and there's really nothing else around, then I think you can really be successful this time of year. If there's a bunch of food around, 
then you're going to have to get a little luck, and you might be that guy that kills every two years or whatever mm-hmm. in the late season. And then if there's no food around, then you might as well just uh, get in front of the fireplace and hang out for a little while because you're probably going to struggle. But uh, not to not to you know try to keep you from going out this time of year. Your boy T has struggled in the late season to get on deer, um, and it's not over yet. But I think my Kansas hunting is over, and that that uh, is definitely uh, where Mister December struck out this year. So yeah, dang, unfortunately, man. stinks. Um, but uh, we, uh, I uh, ended up staying up there a little bit longer than you did this past time, and uh, had some misfortune. Um, but I think we'll probably cover that in another podcast. Yeah, we definitely so, can cover that. Uh, it's a just tough deal, but we'll yeah. talk about that more later, uh, man. I am excited for next year in Kansas, as weird as it is to talk about that now. No, I've been too. Just because, like, I spent more time this year than I ever have up there, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I learned a ton. And, and really, we're kind of on similar paths because before, your type of hunting was just different than what you're doing now, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, we're out getting permission, hunting public, all this kind of stuff. So we're kind of in the same spot as far as like knowledge acquisition goes. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like next year I'm going to slay all the deer. Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, I feel the same way too, dude. Like I was, I think I was maybe texting you about this or we talked about it some when mm-hmm. we were up there, but like, it's crazy how much I feel like I learned this year. You know what oh, I mean? Man. Like oh, I, we did this kind of type of stuff last year. Mm-hmm. I've been up there for almost 15 years now, you know, like I, I've learned a lot over the years, and I feel like this year I learned a lot. Uh, and maybe that's just because I'm hunting some new properties, and that's what happens. You know, you learn when you hunt new properties. But, like, uh, there are some definite takeaways that I have that I think are going to really put us in position. And, you know, frankly, uh, not having Iowa next year is uh, – is there's a good chance that, like, we can focus down on Kansas and really make it happen when the rut's going on up mm-hmm. there, you know. And that's – that's one thing that kind of hurt us this year is going back in the late season, we didn't have the greatest of food sources around us mm-hmm. to, to, to focus in on, you know. And I think also, um, I think, like, we've been able to put together a considerable amount of acreage up there for permissions, and I think that, not that that hurts us, but I think that we should go maybe spend some time this off season, and we'll get into this all later in a podcast, but I think we should spend some time this off season going, okay, where are the four or five spots that we need to focus on? We need to have food here or we need to uh, have a stand here that stays there so we don't have to get up super early and mm-hmm. hang every in the cold or whatever. Like where are the things that can make us super – be advantageous for us to kill? And, and, and that way we're not like jumping around uh, all through November to different stands going, well, I hope something's happening over here. Yeah. You know? I did a ton of that. Like yeah. spend a day and a half in a place. You know, you well, go I think hang- the wind affected us some yeah, there. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? But – uh, I did. I can't tell you this much. If we don't have a stand in a particular cedar tree uh, at the beginning oh, of the season baby. next year, we're idiots. Yeah. Is all I can tell you because yeah. that's the place to be. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the difference in me killing. Well, getting a shot at a giant eight point and not is yeah. because I was too lazy or I mean I I made had reasons for not moving the stand that morning. You know, making a bunch oh, of yeah. noises and that whatever. I well, guess that was a nine point that was the difference but still <laughs> yeah yeah i did the same thing with kickers you, yeah. you remember like same thing it was a morning hunt i mm-hmm. was like you know what i'm just gonna gonna hang here and like i've talked about this before uh when when it happened i think um what i did wrong and you know i 
you can kind of justify things sometimes. So it, you can play tricks on yourself in the season. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like where you can justify like, oh, well, it makes sense to hunt this side of the tree line because the wind is from that direction. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They tend to kind of, I think, move through here. Or I can see where they would do this, you know, and you're just like, golly. I, yeah. I'm, uh, well, I don't know what man, to do. Man, after hunting that place a lot, though, um, the tree line isn't the place you kill a deer mm-hmm. over there. But – <laughs> we could go on. We can go on there, and on about that. It's going to be a good podcast, at least yeah. for us. And we talked about this. We're going to do this. We're going to do like probably a recap um, here in the next week or two of Kansas and talk about the things that we learned. We're going to use some code language uh, and all these different <laughs> things. Because you sneaky snakes are out there. That's right. <laughs> uh, and and we're going to uh, really just dig, like deep dive on this stuff. And, and I hope that you guys can learn something out of it. And I think that you can. But I also know that for us, in a selfish way, uh, it's going to be something really good that we can look back on about September and August of next year and go, oh, here's what we were thinking after the season. I totally forgot about that, mm-hmm. you know? And so. if you have, like, some good ideas about how to do more than just reflect on a season, but, like, how to keep up with what you learned or whatever, just uh, maybe just some insights like that, send us a message on Facebook or something. That way, maybe we can kind of cover that in that podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. If, if you've had, like, because we talk about doing this all the time, where, like, we go back and, like, all right, we're going to learn a lot. And then I feel like we kind of repeat ourselves sometimes <laughs> year after year. Yeah. We learn some things, but there's things that are lost. So if you've got a good way of keeping up with that and, like, retaining those thoughts from January all the way up until, you know, late September when you start putting these things into practice, uh, just hit us up and let us know what you what you what your thoughts are on yeah. that. All right, yeah. So let's get some some tips from Bernie Berenger on hunting the late season, and then we'll come back to you on the other side and see you off from there. Sound good, KC? Sounds good. All right. So now on the phone we have outdoor writer and author Bernie Berenger. Bernie, what's happening, man? Hey, I'm sitting here looking out the window at some turkeys trying to make a living in the snow here. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. That is cool, man. Uh, uh, we don't have turkeys in where where Casey and I live. We actually do not have turkeys. We're one of the few places in the U.S. that is void of turkeys. So yeah, they've really expanded here in uh, northern Minnesota the last uh, ten years or so. They've just exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We uh, can't say the same. We <laughs> <laughs> they've uh, we actually have the NWTF working pretty heavily in the eastern part of Texas where we live um but we're in a weird weird spot kind of between dfw and where turkeys start to the east of us so um we're hoping that uh, some co-ops and that kind of thing can get going and they can start stalking a little bit more heavily and and get that because i feel like that's a I feel like that's a good species for like high school kids to go chase you know what i mean it's it's something that you can get permission to go hunt uh, as opposed to deer. You know, it's not as high dollar and, and such a crazy market for it. And it uh, they don't necessarily, um, you know, people for some reason like, like uh, they, they like it when you shoot birds more than they like it when you shoot things with fur a lot of times. You know yeah, I mean? that's, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of true. And yeah. I've, I've had, I've just got a small property here, but uh, I got it pretty well set up for, wildlife and i've just got a few acres but i have every year it seems like in the spring some young guys come driving up in a beat up old pickup and ask if they can shoot turkeys and i say how many do you want you know (laughs) how many (laughs) acres you got i just got five acres but it's surrounded by 700 acres of state park oh there's no hunting so (laughs) man (laughs) that's a good find man kc actually just bought a small property as well like 11 acres yeah it's uh 
little over 11 acres and kind of the same deal where it's uh it's surrounded on on a lot of the area around it at least is uh you know private that doesn't see any hunting pressure so it's uh it's kind of cool to have a small property that you can uh not really manage as far as you know antler size goes or whatever but at least you can do a few things and it's like they really pay dividends because of all the good habitat and, and stuff around it you know so it's been this is my first hunting season on the property and uh mm-hmm. seen some decent deer and uh but it's just been fun you know i love public hunting it's what tyler and i do a ton of but there's something to like having your own little piece that nobody else can go on and you can just kind of go out there and uh relax and hopefully see a deer and if you don't it's okay too you know yeah yeah that's exactly what i got here and you know we're not in an area that produces a lot of big bucks even in a state park type of situation but ever so often i'll get one on camera and i go "Ooh, look at that one (laughs) yeah but uh you know i can friends and i usually fill our freezers with those Mm -hmm. every year out here and i just tell them I just tell my buddies, come and shoot a doe if you want. Just don't shoot any of the little bucks. I'm trying to, you know, see how we can grow them. And, and uh, it's, you know, we, we do see some pretty decent bucks, but we also, um, you know, we also just have a lot. of. I just got one acre that I plant into brassicas the 1st of August every year. And um, the bow season here opens in the middle of September and literally – you know, we get our first frost usually sometime mid to late September. We start getting a couple hard frosts, and when those brassicas get frosted, the the deer come in like a lawnmower and just, <laughs> you know, just mow them down. So, all my buddies are like, you know, come shoot a doe, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. So, do y'all live in a pretty high deer density area? There, it's just not a lot of older mature bucks. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's uh kind of an interesting thing to me because you know you hear different pockets of the of the country talk about you know how hard the hunting is and stuff and, and I believe it for sure but I think that we've kind of skewed it to where a lot a lot of people uh when they say that they really mean it's hard to find a, a you know a good quality buck but uh you know there's a lot of places around the whole country it seems that you can go if you want to go shoot a deer like there's a lot of good high deer density areas that probably they'd appreciate you coming to shooting a couple does so the rose bushes can live, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really true. But there's a lot of those people, um, you know, outdoor television over the last 20 years has created quite a movement of people from the States where they maybe have high density deer populations with, and you just, you know, people are watching Michael Waddell shoot a 150-inch buck every other week, and they're mm-hmm. like, man, I don't even see deer like that where I live, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's created quite a movement of people that just want to go to the, I call them the destination states, like, mm-hmm. you know, your Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas, you know? And uh, it's it's I think it's outdoor TV, and now you know, the online forums and Facebook and stuff like that is driving a lot of people to do that more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, uh, uh, that that's the kind of, you know, I do, I know that you do a lot of traveling and bow hunting and stuff. Do you, uh, tend to gravitate towards those, you know, deer States or are you kind of countercultural in that? Do you try to go, you know, and kind of find the hidden gems or at least just get away from people? You know, I'm I'm primarily looking for places to go where I have a chance to shoot a buck that's three and a half or older, you know, mm-hmm. and um, a lot, that's not everybody's goal. But for me, you know, I've been on th- over 30 of these road trips where I went to another state to hunt 
And uh, so I kind of have my own personal baseline of three and a half year old buck. And uh, it's not easy to do on public land, even in the best states. But I have uh, I found some pretty good pockets, and I got one spot where I, I think in five years I killed three Pope and Young bucks. Wow! And li- literally almost out of the same stand, you know, <laughs> in, in just one little pocket. Um, so, but I I love doing it. I really enjoy the challenge of the traveling and the learning and and all that. Over the years, have you seen where people? being driven to these states through outdoor media and TV and this and that um, has maybe created um, a void or an opening in another state that, or other states that are pretty good uh, where like, you know, people just aren't traveling to that as a destination state, but it's still a great place to go shoot three and a half year old plus bucks. Um, You know, are you looking for like, you want some advice on what states might be? No, I'm little, just little. not necessarily. You know, I don't want to. I don't want your honey hole or anything. But uh, you know, I mean, have you seen a trend that way at all? Um, where you know, because you were talking about how all these people seem to want to go to these places, and I, I fall into that category as well. I went. I finally drew in Iowa this year and went to Southern Iowa and hunted and shot a buck. And um, you know, that's it was an awesome hunt. But at the same time, uh, it's always good to know. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to know that Alaska is still out there as a frontier. In, in other words, you know, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's good to know that there's there may be other places that uh, you you could go and you know logistically shoot a three and a half year old buck. Um, yeah, and, and there are some states that are kind of overlooked. Uh, you know, I think North Dakota, I would say, is one. Um, and uh, you know, if if you look at Iowa, everybody wants to go to Iowa, and that's the reason they want to go to Iowa is because it's worth it, even though you're going to end up paying over 700 bucks for a whitetail tag, you know, by the time you get your preference points and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, you re- the reality is Iowa offers 6,000 non-resident deer tags a year and they have 20,000 applicants mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So it takes you three or four years to draw a tag. And, uh, but it's the, you know, they their formula is really good. Their public land is not overrun with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's just really good high quality deer there. So, um, you know, that's, that's just one example, but there's a lot of different states that, uh, Missouri is kind of a bargain, you know, for 250 bucks, you get two deer tags and two turkey tags for fall. And, um, you know, there's tons of public land in Missouri. Missouri has a lot of public land hunters and a lot of people travel to Missouri to bow hunt, especially during the rut. But one thing about Missouri is they've got this half a percent sales tax that just goes to wildlife conservation so missouri has bought a lot of public hunting land that's good quality habitat for whitetails that's cool and you know and then you the wide open spaces of the west like i like southeastern montana um you know oklahoma's kind of overlooked nebraska is a little you know i'll tell you what i like about nebraska um you can buy two buck tags in Nebraska for both non-resident bow. You can buy two buck tags and they're good for either whitetails or mule deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's areas where you could shoot both, you know? Yeah. So that's in, in really it's gotten to where now a mule deer tag, that's, that might be the only over the counter mule deer tag you can get now. Is that right? I don't really remember for sure, but you know, yeah, I, I think there's a few others, but they're getting scarce. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's getting harder and harder to draw in like Colorado and stuff, you know, so it's, it's a great opportunity if you want to, 
Uh, like for me, for instance, you know, we live in eastern Texas. There's not any mule deer there, and it's just kind of something I've always dreamed about, you know, getting to shoot one. And uh, it's kind of a – if you're – like you're talking about opportunity, if you're going to travel, you kind of want to travel for opportunity. Like um, it's great to go somewhere uh, – like for instance, to go to um, southern Iowa – and go hunt big giant bucks is awesome, but you only get to do that once every four or five years, right? So sure, you yeah. want to go somewhere maybe with at least a decent amount of targets, or like you're saying there, like you got a multi-species tag. You know, you're hunting a hunting a uh, food source, and uh, oh man, look look what that is walking by. I can shoot that too. You know, it's kind of a nice. <laughs> it's just a nice feeling to have that in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. so this time of year, let's kind of get back to it. First of all, we might have even kind of skipped over a little bit, but I just want. The, I want the listener to kind of understand who Bernie Berenger is. Uh, you're you're kind of an all around outdoorsman, correct? You've you've uh, kind of come up in the trapping and uh, written books about bear hunting and that kind of thing as well, right? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've according to my wife, I've figured out how to make a living without having a real job. <laughs> you figured <laughs> you know? it out, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, you know, I I was a full time commercial fur trapper in the 1980s and. Uh, when that fell apart, I went back to college. I didn't go back to college. I went to college and uh, got a degree in journalism and started writing and have uh, published over a thousand magazine articles now. And and I think I guess I kind of lost track of 14, 15, 16 books or something like that. And um, so, yeah, I've been able to kind of find a couple of niches um and bear hunting is one you know i i write a column in each issue of bear hunting magazine and i i write for most of the bow hunting magazines i do a lot of their bear hunting stuff and and then the whitetails of course i'm, I'm a diehard whitetail bow hunter mm-hmm. and uh you know travel each year to different states and so forth and uh still trap a little bit uh there's there's just not the money in it to to put the time in that i used to of course but i like to snare a, a few uh fox and coyotes in the winter and and so forth and you know we're allowed two fisher here in minnesota i usually try to get my two fisher each year but um the trapping thing is you know it used to be a job for me now it's you know just a Burden. little bit of chance to get out and enjoy it you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah sure yeah. so uh you're gonna have to expand on the fisher thing a little bit because a i didn't know they were any in minnesota which it's just you know being ignorant but uh, B, why, why, why the drive to make sure and get your two fisher? Well, um, where I live, there's quite a few fisher around uh-huh. and, uh, and it's just, they're just a fun animal to trap because you get out in the snow. And the one thing about fisher is they're very predictable. You know, if they, if you see a fisher track, chances are within a week that fisher's going to come back and, you know, he might run down the same track or he's probably going to go through that area within 50 yards of where he went through last time, they usually have a big circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to run, uh, they like to run the edges of beaver ponds and things like that. And so, you know, they're, they're just fun to trap. That's cool. So are they, uh, like when you're trying to get your two, are you looking for, you know, a, a, a pelt on the, on those or, or, you know, yeah, they have, they have, you know, it's not like it used to be, they have pretty good value, you know, uh, um, it makes it worth your time, I guess. You know, a good fisher's sixty to eighty dollars. Wow! Ooh, yeah, that <laughs> what, do they, is good. what do they use them for? Uh, it's fur coats. A lot of them go to uh, China. A ton of the U.S. fur nowadays goes to China because mm-hmm. wearing furs over there is is not considered kind of taboo like it is. You know, a lot of people just 
if you're going to wear a fur coat in the U.S., you're probably just going to have something with a coyote collar mm-hmm. on the hood or something like that, or you know, maybe a fur trim or something like that. But there's there's parts of the world where people are still wearing furs for full fur coats, you know. Right. Yeah. So what's weird to me is, and I don't know, I I'm, I don't know a lot about this, um, but from what I understand, um, you know, fur coat is can be a really expensive thing and it seems like furs you get paid less and less every year for furs it seems like they're just their value is going down if uh, for each pelt you know what i mean and uh do you have an idea of of that market and why it's doing what it's doing you know it sort of fluctuates uh there was a uh, there was a spike here about uh you know 2014 15 uh, there was kind of a spike in the value of a lot of the furs. Coon furs went up, and and the trappers that had a lot of traps in their garage, uh, you know, a lot of them went out, caught a bunch of coon, and and uh, there was a little more money in it there for a while. But it really fluctuates based on demand, and demand is driven by style. And uh, you know, it, it's also the price of furs because almost it's almost all exported now. The price uh, is really dependent on the value of the American dollar, too. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts in it. But, you know, it's like, shoot, in the 1980s, I can make a living by, you know, I, I made probably half my yearly income by trapping for a month. Wow. And, uh, you know, now, you know, you're, you know, you can fill your truck with gas. <laughs> you know, that's, about, that's about what you got. Now. Yeah, perpetuate with your, your hobby there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so... I'm I'm kind of into getting permission to hunt on private places right now. It's kind of a thing that I've been doing the past couple of years. Have you ever gotten permission to whitetail hunt a place because you first obtained the trapping permission? I actually have. In, in fact, years ago, that was really common. I would just get to know the people. And, and beavers, man, I'll tell you what, beavers <laughs> are the best thing that ever happened to whitetail. If you know how to trap a beaver... Yeah. If you know how to trap beaver, you can get permission to deer hunt because there's a lot of farmers that they got beaver going up in their cornfields and cutting the corn stalks down and they're damming up the drainage ditches and flooding their soybeans. You know, we saw it, that in Iowa this year. I didn't know they would do that, but man, beavers, I mean, they are pretty detrimental to some corn. It was surprising. Yeah, they, they definitely are. If you can, if you can learn to trap beaver, um, it'll get you on some good property to deer hunt. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Might have to. What do, do you use conibear traps, or what do you? How do you use the trap baby? Yes. Uh, you know, three thirty conibears. Uh, sometimes footholds, snares. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when they're regularly coming out of the drainage ditches or creeks and going up into the farm fields, uh, you know, snares work really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, would you say that a guy? Say say I'm a diehard whitetail guy. Just say that, right? Like, I'm not saying I am or anything, but say that was the case. Would, would it be well-served of me to go knocking doors saying, hey, do you have a beaver problem, all the while knowing that I have this angle working that I kind of want to whitetail hunt this place? Is it worth the time? Or are you better off? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't just go to it, – it's, it's, the, the short answer is yes, it'd be worth it. Mm-hmm. The long answer is you gotta. you're better off – to just find out where the beaver problems are. And sometimes your county, you know, they're out there with a backhoe trying to tear out dams and the beavers haven't built back within a week, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, if you just go out and see there's, where there's creeks that are flooded, then go find the landowner. And that'd be the way I would do it. Yeah, I don't do much of that anymore. But when I, li- I lived in Iowa until 
2001. And, um, that's where I trapped and man, I got a lot of places to hunt based on people that I just knew farmers. I think at one point when the fur prices were really good, I think I had permission on 36 farms. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, uh, next year I'm going to have, uh, three plus one points in Iowa. And since you don't live there anymore, I probably will, uh, I probably will bring yeah. a couple of bear traps up there with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I got <laughs> Iowa points. I got Iowa points too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So speaking of that, not that I'm trying to get your spots or anything, but you know, if, if you had an extra one out of your 36, but, uh, do you um do you maintain like good contact with those landowners? How how does that work? Uh, because you know I'm just kind of figuring out this permission thing, especially out of state. You know what's overbearing when you're trying to like maintain a good contact and have a good relationship, and then what's uh, what's not enough? You know that's a great question. Um, and let me start by saying this: when I was a kid, I started bow hunting in 1973. I was 14 years old, and I could just talk to any of the farmers in my church mm-hmm. and they'd all give me permission to bow hunt uh-huh. and they're like so you're gonna try to kill a deer with that you know they were using a recurve and it had six wheels yeah, on it yeah i started with a recurve yeah. yeah and uh so i think it was more amusement for them but you know <laughs> you nowadays all that land is leased or mm-hmm. um you know or just or it's a lot of it's been just bought by wealthy hunters from the cities you know chicago and minneapolis and and St. Louis and stuff like there's a lot of people buying up land. Um, and I've had some interesting experiences where I had permission to hunt a piece that was 70 acres. And, uh, the, I went to talk to the fellow about three weeks before the season. I said, just want to check and make sure I got permission to hunt here again this year. And he says, yeah, but, um, you know, I got to give you a key. We got a new gate out there. I got to give you a key to the gate because all of the land completely surrounding my 70 acres was bought by some, some guys from Columbia, Missouri that have a deer call company and they <laughs> bought something like 400 acres all around this 70 acres. And, uh, I said, was it named Drury? And he's like, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> and, uh, so literally he gave me a key to get through the Drury's gate. So I could uh, drive across their property to uh, to hunt this this seventy acres that was his. And, you know, unfortunately, that was a long that was thirty years ago, and I didn't know what I was really doing like I do nowadays. I could have killed bigger bucks in there if I'd have known a lot more about it. You know, um, yeah. but it was interesting. You know, the first few years when Drury's were putting out videos after they'd bought this property, they'd be like. You know, there we call this the swing set stand, and I'd be like, I know right where that is. You know, I drove right by that, and uh, so that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean the the thing with property is you kind of read each landowner differently, and uh, some of them just they they want to really get to know you, and others are like, yeah, just you know, don't drive on the hay fields when it's muddy, and make sure you shut the gate, and we'll talk to you next year. Mm-hmm. You know. And, uh, I always at least send them a Christmas card and, uh, some of them I'd be like, you want some venison, uh, summer sausage? They'd be like, yeah, you know, so they're, you, you kind of have to gauge each of them. I'd use, you know, you wave at them when you go down the road or if you see them out, uh, you know, combine and corn, I'd run out there and just jump into combine and ride a couple rounds with them and see how they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of them want to have a little bit of a relationship with you. So they know you can trust, be trusted. So, 
Yeah, I guess that's kind of a long answer to a short question. No, it's good. It's yeah. a very complex situation. So um, what about – we've run into a situation here and there where, um, you know, say the landowner is a, is a really old person and they don't necessarily live on their property, but maybe their son or grandson does or daughter or whatever it might be um, – and you talk to the landowner and you've talked to the son or grandson and they don't, neither one of them seem to care at all. It's almost like they don't even want to really, they don't, you know, they don't really even want to talk to you again. They just are like, hey, go out there, do whatever. I, I'm kind of disinterested in talking to you. Do you stay in touch with them year to year or do you just hunt it until somebody tells you, you know, yells at you and tells you to get off of it? <laughs> yeah, I I always at least tell them that I'm going to be out there, you know, Hey, I'm planning to hunt your property again this year and, and, you know, give them a chance to say no to you. Um, Oof. I, I ran in, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I ran into a situation kind of like that one time where, um, I finally asked the guy, you know, I said, can you just say yes or no? And he's like, you know, if I say yes, I might be liable in insurance, Li, you know my liability insurance mm -hmm. if i give if i he said so i'm i'm not going to say yes but i'm not going to kick you off mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, i'm like okay okay i get that i mean i that never even occurred to me and he told me but he just didn't want to say yes you can hunt here he just basically you know looked the other way yeah because of that yeah. liability insurance is what he was concerned about yeah you know tyler and i had this conversation the other day about how it might be nice to keep a flyer or something you're well, not a flyer but just a piece of paperwork that's like a quick little permission slip that also includes like hey just you know uh some liability for the landowner liability you know like, yeah, like yeah. a waiver yes like a waiver or something yeah exactly yeah, that's a that's a great idea in fact some states you have to have written permission on you mm -hmm. when you're when you're hunting someone else's land. It's the man the, the laws vary so much. Um, you know, in North Dakota, if the land's not posted, you can hunt it. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's sketchy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then other states like uh, I, I think it's Iowa where they have a law that you have to give a a, a trespasser one warning, and your uh, no trespassing sign serves as a warning. So if you aren't posted, then you can kick somebody off, but you can't prosecute them until you catch them on there again. Huh. And I'm, I, I think that used to be that way in Iowa. I'm not sure if it still is, but man, you gotta when you go hunt another state. If you're not hunting public land, you really got to know the laws. And and really, truly, if you're even if you are hunting public land, you got to of course know the laws. But they can get pretty complicated when you get off on private. Right. So speaking of that, when you travel to hunt. What's the, I mean, obviously you got to read the, the, read the rule book, the regulation book. Um, but sometimes still that, that can be confusing for some people. Are you trying to talk to locals and that kind of thing to really understand the laws when you go out of, out of state? Yeah, I wouldn't sometimes. Um, but sometimes the locals don't know them very well either. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so you, you want to make sure you're up to speed and, uh, you know, I was hunting in Missouri one time and, um, there was a guy that owned some property. He owned just a small piece of property. Maybe it was like 15 or 20 acres. It was right beside the public hunting area. And, and I come walking out one evening with my stand on my back to the parking lot of this public hunting area. And the guy, he drives up to me, he says, yeah, I live right over here. And he said, if you want to hunt my property, you can hunt mine. I'm like, oh, cool. And, and uh, he says, yeah, I just shot a four corn that was eaten um, 
my flowers in the backyard. I'm like, you shot it with a rifle. It's bow season, you know? He's like, well, don't worry. Don't worry about that. You know, it, was eating, it was, it was eating my flowers. And, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, that property on the other side of you there, um, man, that, that looks really good. Do you know who owns that? And he goes, yeah, those people, um, they live in Missouri and I'd never see them up here. So you can hunt that too. Or they, he said, they live in St. Louis. He said, you can hunt that too, if you want. Cause they're, they're, they're hardly ever up here. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. you know. Yeah. That's funny, man. And I actually, I actually walked out there and put some trail cameras out there. And, uh, then I, you know, cheapers, I got a great big buck on camera. And, uh, so when I went out there to check the camera, I, I was just started looking around. I'm going, man, I'm just not really comfortable with this, but you know, I'm going to go check my camera and I got this picture of a great big 10 pointer on this camera. And so I started, I walked over the next hill and there's a tree stand. Oh, and, and I went, you know what? I'm out of here. I yeah. just don't, I can't do this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Man. Yeah, that's uh, okay. I'll mark the talk to locals off the list here. (laughs) It is funny, though, how many people uh, kind of, I don't know, in their home state and rural areas, like, you know, laws are guidelines, and it's not like they're trying to be, uh, you know, bad about anything. But, you know, like, uh, there's there's some laws regarding – Fur-bearing animals, like where we're where we're from, dogs. Like, uh, yeah, dogs. <laughs> now, like raccoons and stuff. Like, you know, technically, you're not supposed to. It's wanton waste if you just shoot a raccoon, let, leave it lie. But a lot of people go at it night just to, you know, hunt coons and just don't yeah. really do much with them. You know, and not not really uh, saying that I support those notions, but it's just kind of something people do. And, and it's weird how game regulations once you start really digging into stuff you're like whoa well, i might need to rethink this whole thing that i'm doing right here you know and uh, yeah the, well yeah and the one thing if you're going to talk to locals the questions i would ask the locals are you know where are you seeing the deer yeah you know what are, are you seeing bucks chasing does or you know have you seen any big ones and a guy will say yeah you know there i there's a great big one run across in front of my headlights the other night right down at that corner there, you go down to that corner and there's a really good trail there or something, you know? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, they'll give you a nice nugget that pays off. Yeah. 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 When you're traveling out of state like that, uh, you know, we talked some about the permission stuff and you've mentioned public. Are you, are you usually going with the intention of going somewhere there was some good public access and then maybe finding some permission while you're there? Or are you doing like your homework in the summer, you know, calling landowners and trying to find some good private to hunt? I'm pretty much always just going to hunt the public. Yeah. And, uh, there's been a couple times when I've got permission on adjacent private property, just kind of lucked onto it. Uh, you know, I guess there's one time I'm thinking of where I saw that the deer were moving out into a cut cornfield from the pub. They were betting on the public and they were going out into the cornfield to feed. And there was a nice, uh, ditch, I guess, or a ravine, that came off the public and all these deer were walking and going right out of the point of that woods. And I went and talked to the landowner. He goes, yeah, you can put a stand in there. Yeah. So, you know, but most of the time I'm, you know, I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time just going around uh, trying to get permission because it's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to hunt another state, I'm going to be there a week or 10 days. I better just put my time in hunting and not uh knocking on doors anymore the guy has to yeah so what time of year are you doing all this 
planning for these, uh, you know, like say you've got your 2020 deer season. Do you have that planned out already, or is that what you're going to kind of do in these, uh, you know, cold, dark months of, of winter that we have coming up? Yeah, you know, actually the, the best time to do your planning is in the, you know, in the winter because um, the states where you have to apply for tags, they're mostly, you know, in the spring or late winter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've got, I think, two I have to check. It's, I think two preference points in Iowa. I got a preference point in Kansas. So I'm not going to know for sure which one of those two States, if I'm going to hunt. And, uh, then I'll probably, I'll do one draw state probably. And then one, um, over the counter state. And I don't have to worry about the over the counter state until, you know, later, mm-hmm. but, uh, cause things change in these States, you know, realistically the amount of water, it get, you get a lot of rain and it can, it can change the, the deer behavior. And, um, you know, I drew Kansas a couple of years ago and, uh, the, uh, the river that goes all the way through this huge public hunting property that I hunt was completely out of its banks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all the public land, the fences were not that far from the river and it, and the water was right up to the fences. And, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't hunt there. Yeah, right. Because, you know, all the deer had been pushed off onto private land. Mm-hmm. And that strange stuff like that can happen. You know, I, I hunted western Nebraska this year, and uh, the public property that I was hunting out there um, was had they, were, they had a really good pheasant population out in that particular area this year. And uh, the first two days, I passed up a couple of smaller bucks, a two-and-a-half-year-old eight-pointer, you know, and. And then it just got, the weekend was absolutely slammed with pheasant hunters. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there must have been, there were so many cars parked along the road and the orange and the dogs running everywhere. And they literally drove all the whitetails off the property in, in one weekend. Man. And they never really came back this, the, um, by Monday, you know, I just went out Monday morning and drove the roads at daylight glassing. And I saw bucks chasing does. This was in. Uh, first week in November, bucks chasing does all over on the out on private property in the hay fields and and so forth, and they never really came back onto the public land. So I ended up, um, since my tag was good for mule deer, um, I ended up just kind of going up in the hills and trying to spot and stalk some mule deer. Had all kinds of fun. I ended up not getting a buck, but I had lots of fun with that. Yeah, imagine, so. man. That's that's something definitely to think about, um, and. And that kind of stinks with the with the whole draw system sometimes, and how you can you can draw a tag in the summertime and that you've been putting in for for several years that can uh, be affected by late summer rains or something like that. You know, uh, definitely definitely kind of stinks. So when when something like that may happen, okay, for instance, um, let's just take take it to um, we're looking at a state that is over the counter. And you've got your, if you're planning out your season and you've got, you want to go to two out of state hunts, one of them you've drawn. So you're going there. Uh, but the other one is an over the counter tag that's going to happen in, you know, late November or whatever it might be. Um, and then you've noticed that they get a lot of rain, it floods. Um, are you still going to go to that state? Are you going to buy your, first of all, are you going to buy your over the counter tag right before the hunt? Or are you going to buy it in advance and, if if so, how do you adjust to that situation when when you know that some kind of natural uh, disaster I put in quotations, but some, something naturally happens that is going to make it a tough hunt for you? Um, and then how are you adjusting to that? Yeah, I I typically don't buy an over the tag 
uh, over the counter tag until I get there and look things over. Gotcha. Um, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the planning ahead of time. Uh, I've usually called, uh, a biologist, a land manager, game ward, or somebody and talk to them. Um, I like, you know, a lot of these public lands, they plant food plots and stuff like that on it. So you want to call a biologist and say, hey, you know, where are the, where are the deer really feeding on? What do you got planted here? And, you know, that's all stuff that you do in the summer before you get there, and it really gives you a good idea. But, uh, you know, I, I actually went on a – I went to Kentucky one time. Uh, Kentucky has a – opening the first of September and I was trying to shoot a velvet buck at that time. I've never shot a velvet before that point. I have now, but, um, this was quite a few years ago and I went to Kentucky, um, scouted, man, I walked the first day. I walked a lot of miles, uh, put some cameras out, uh, and, uh, by the second or third day, um, I hadn't, I didn't buy a tag and by about the third day, I'm like, man, this is, this is not going to work. You know, so I'm not going to spend the 200 bucks on a deer tag. I just, I stayed another day. I think the fourth day I finally came home, but I thought, you know what, until I get something going, I'm not going to go spend the money on a tag. <laughs> right, right. And I never did. So I just went home. Yeah. I've since hunted Kentucky successfully, but, uh, it, that, that's just one of those situations where, yeah, every so often you just have a, it just doesn't work, you know? Sure. Yeah. So in that situation, are you ever, um, trying to salvage that 10 days trip that you had set aside where you go, okay, well that didn't work. Um, and I've still got money in my pocket that I was going to spend on the tag, um, on the way home happens to be Ohio, you know, or whatever. And so I'm going to stop there, you know, obviously not in the early, early season like that. They probably aren't open, yeah. but you know, you know what I mean? Like, are you ever trying to salvage a trip and hit something on the way back home? Or do you usually just go home, regroup and, and uh, try to make something happen a few weeks later, maybe? No, I, I will usually try to go somewhere else and, uh, try to, you know, I've been so many places now that I've, you know, if I get in my truck, I'll go, yeah, boy, I'd sure like to get back to that piece of property and such and such, or, you know, um, I, I'm just going to, you know, I block off two or three weeks. First, first half of November every year is just, it's bow hunting mm-hmm. somewhere. So I'm, if it doesn't work in one state, I'm going somewhere else or, you know, there's been times when I killed out early and I thought, well, shoot, I got another week left. It's worth going somewhere else. Um, and I do some offbeat stuff. I've, I've done some, you know, here's, here's an example. One time, uh, I was planning to hunt in North Dakota in uh, the end of October, and I went to Montana for an early season hunt. Montana has a uh, opens around the first of September, and um, so I went to Montana, Southeast Montana, for an early season hunt. On my way, I stopped and put out five trail cameras where I was going to be hunting in North Dakota, and that for and two months later, I went back to North Dakota, and four of the five were still there. <laughs> <laughs> one, of them, one of them wasn't there anymore, but four of the five yeah. were still there on public property. That's pretty and, good uh, odds, really, four or five. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, uh, two I put two of them in these steel boxes so people can't get them. Uh-huh. And uh, one of them that was gone, they had went home and got a hacksaw and cut the lag <laughs> screws yeah, off the wait. back and got the box. Yeah, I've always wondered that and, about those things. It seems like you're uh, you're showing people that it's worth some money when you put that steel box on there. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I guess that's true. But the, I'll tell you what's worth the money is the information. Oh, you yeah. Can buy a trail, yeah. You can buy a good trail camera for 100 150 bucks. But the information that's on that card is what really hurts. Oh yeah, you can't go. You can't go back to store and buy that. You mm-hmm. know. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've I've done all kinds of different things like that to try to get as much information gathered as I can before I ever show up. Yeah. to hunt. So let's talk a little bit about sleeping arrangements and stuff. Um, we've done some truck camping, some truck sleeping. Uh, this year on Tyler's Iowa Tag, we spent some time in a, in a motel, cheap motel, because it's uh, freezing cold for guys from Texas up there, you know. <laughs> and to be honest, it was a cold Octo- late October. I mean, we got snowed on quite a bit. But, um, you know, it, it's always something that's kind of a concern when you're going out of state is where are you going to stay, what are you going to do, and uh, that sort of thing. Have you found any uh, secrets or tricks to, like, finding a, a inexpensive place to stay that has, uh, you know, a heater and some running water? Um, I've done just about everything you can think of. And I go, and in fact, in my book, I go through this quite a bit. Oh, cool. Because that, that's one of the questions that a lot of people ask, and especially, like, I go to deer, traveling deer hunter type seminars and people are like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Should, a motel's like 80 bucks a night. And, you know, do I do this? Do I do that? And so I cover that quite a bit in the book. And, and the reality is a lot of these small town motels in the types of areas where you're going hunting, they'll work with you. Yeah. You know, you can say, look, um, I'm going to be here a week. You know, can you make me a deal? Mm-hmm. And um, they usually will. And I, I'll just say, you don't have to clean the room every day, you know, just make mm-hmm. sure I got clean towels and, or whatever. And will you do it for this? And if I leave early, I'll still pay that, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll usually go for that. There's some states where you can actually camp on the public hunting area. And uh, I've got a travel trailer that I sometimes will take and just set up in the parking lot of a public hunting area or if there's a campground nearby. Um, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. I've tent camped. I've camped in the back of my truck. Um, you know, there's there's lots of ways to save money. And if you're if you're hunting on a budget like most of us are, then uh, you, you got to try to find the best deal you can. Sure. And food is another big issue, too. What are you going to eat? Yeah. And that's that's what I like about, uh, um, you know, I I just take a crock pot. If I'm staying in a motel, I'll just take a slow cooker, you know, and I throw um, I, I make meals up for ahead of time and they're frozen. And then I just throw them in a crock pot and, the, and, and turn it on low when I leave in the morning. And when I come back after dark at night, after a long, cold day in the woods, and maybe I got a, you know, some roast beef or something like that in a crock pot that's hot and it's good idea. and uh, I, i'm a big believer in in getting at least one good hot meal in you a day oh yeah and you know you don't you don't want to go dry you know i could starve to death on a mcdonald's parking lot you know what i mean i just <laughs> yeah. don't, I don't i don't like their food and i so if i want to eat i probably want to go to a restaurant if i'm going to eat out but you start doing that every night and especially you come back in the evening and you want to get your gear ready uh, for the next day and, uh, you're, you know, the way you're dressed, you feel like if you're going to go to a restaurant, you got to change your clothes and it's expensive. And so I rarely go to a restaurant when I'm hunting on a road trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Uh, I can I feel you on the McDonald's thing. I think uh, <laughs> where we might differ a little bit is uh, Casey and I are pretty big fans of Taco Bell. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not something you find in uh, in rural deer hunting no, areas very not. often. So and, yeah, and the crockpot idea is great. I don't know why I've never thought about yeah. that because you know crockpot um, is designed for the person who's busy all day and and uh, gets to come home and the meal's ready, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense that a deer hunter would use it. So great, uh, great tip there, man. I, I, um, I did I, this year. I did some, uh, you know, the like MSR pocket rocket that you would take on like a elk hunting back backpack trip um, with the the butane and that kind of thing. I would right. uh, I would take a can of soup and just uh, make sure you buy the pop top, and so you don't have to have a can opener with you, and you just. Uh, and just put the can of soup right on top of it and stir it while it heats up for a couple minutes and good to go, you know? So yeah, it's another way I, to do it. The, the, you know, the, have you tried the Denty Moore beef stew? Yes, it's good. Yeah. That, I mean, it's got the pull top on most of those and you can heat those, you can heat them up in a microwave or you can just put them in a, you know, on any way you can produce some heat. You know, when I was trapping, I used to take a can of soup and lay it on the manifold, the exhaust manifold in my truck. <laughs> yeah, and, and then when I was hungry, I would just stop and have a hot can of soup, you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's so there's there's pretty creative ways that poor people could get you know could do this stuff. Sure enough, yeah. man. I think sure. there's guys that like have YouTube channels about how to like cook baked potatoes on your truck and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think you can't a little bit is. too far, but yeah, I think that there's definitely some uh, some creative ways to have a hot meal. You know, whenever you're roughing it. Yeah. So, you know, um, speaking of traveling and, and, you know, this time of year, it's December, it's the late season, uh, up there where you guys are at, you were saying earlier, you guys have already had like over 40 inches of snow. Um, we've had zero in Texas as far as I know <laughs> where we're at, at least we, we, where we are. And, um, but we're, we're up here in Kansas today. And, um, so we're kind of living the story right now of, of uh, the late season, um, just staying after it, trying to stay warm and, and hope to happen on, upon, you know, a decent buck. Um, if you were heading out today in December, what tactic are you most likely to employ to kill a buck? Well, you know, it's pretty much all about the food right now. They're, the, the bucks are worn down from the rut. And they need high-carbohydrate high foods corn you know and, and soybeans and uh if there's any acorns or anything like that left that they can get to you know they need to put fat reserves back on for the winter that's that's starting you know mm-hmm. and uh i would say uh my my strategy would be try to figure out where the thermal bedding cover is where you know they're trying to get out of the harsh weather it's going to be like in a bend in a creek bottom where there's a lot of willows or you know, they're going to be looking for areas where they can get out of the weather unless it's unless it's sunny. Then they might be bedding on the south slopes of hills where they can get some solar energy, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out where they're bedding and where they're feeding at, the, the patterns are going to be pretty predictable right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I like about the early season, too. I love going um, early September because the, the bucks are still in these bachelor groups and they're just – you know, you catch them completely off guard because they're just going from food to bed every day. And, you know, if you can get in the right spot, you got a really good chance at them. This late season's pretty much similar to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, find a place where you can keep warm. You don't necessarily have to get in a tree. Um, that Sometimes it's just hard to stay warm in a tree when it's really cold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. 
I understand. So, so okay. So, I got a question for you in regards to the solar uh, bedding. I guess that you spoke to earlier. Um, so, at, uh, this time of year, I feel like it can happen a lot of times where you get um, a high pressure, like clouds move out day before or night be- night before. You get high pressure in the morning. It gets really cold and sunny, and so a deer is probably going to want to, for instance this morning same situation it's, it's probably going to want to bed down in the sun out in crp grass or something like that like you said facing south possibly um trying to get some sun when it's 15 degrees and you know and just freezing cold and they've got sunshine that can warm them up so a lot of times when that happens the middle of the day or later in the day, it can really warm up quite a bit to 55, 60 degrees, maybe even somewhat sometimes. So is a deer going to like, what, at what point does the temperature get so warm that day that the deer is like, I've got to get out of this CRP or off this South facing slope and they make a move at what point in temperature yeah. and what time in the day do you see? Uh, it's going to be their comfort level. You know, it's going to be, at what well, they feel like, you know, if they start to become uncomfortable, they're going to move. Mm-hmm. And that could be at completely different temperatures based on what time of the year it is and how much, how accustomed, how acclimated they are to the cold. Or, you know, if, if you have really cold weather in first of October, when the deer really don't have their full winter coats yet, they're going to be in a completely different spot where they are. If it's the same temperature, first of December, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and so they're, they might move multiple times during the day, but they're not this time of the year. They're not going to go far from the food. Okay. So, so even when they adjust that bedding in the middle, if they were to adjust that bedding in the middle of the day, they're going to try to stay close to food is what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, sometimes they might just go to food if they okay. get uncomfortable and they, they might let's go get something to eat, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. On your feet. Might as well go do something. Uh, how much do you uh, think that deer respond to calling during the late season? I know that where we live in Texas, you know, the rut is not near as pronounced. It's much more widespread. So at any point in time, it might be a good idea to rattle or to call to a deer. But if, you, if you're in this time of year in an area that's, you know, a more traditional rut dates kind of area, so you're a month off of that, uh, and, you know, you've got – deer that are on a bed to feed pattern like you're talking uh are they going to hear something like that and say huh there must be a late doe i need to go check that out or are they going to hear it and be like ah that's weird i'm not going over there yeah in the upper midwest calling and rattling does not work well after say the third week of november mm-hmm. um i think calling and rattling works the best in the states that i hunt in the midwest and the last week in October to the first couple weeks in November. And then it really tapers off and particularly rattling Mm -hmm. because they got to, they got to be, you know, really in a rut state of mind to come to rattling and shoot. I've been, you know, I've been on deer hunts in Texas in the middle of January when rattling works. Oh yeah. And it just, yeah, there's not much point in, in bringing the rattling antlers, um, you know, in December in all the places that I hunt anyway. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, what about with the grunt call? Are you, if you see a buck, you know, walking, yeah, we're not going to say cruising because it's kind of the wrong time of year, but you see a buck walking at 150 yards, are you going to try the grunt just to see if you can get him to come over? It can't hurt, uh, you know, 
it basically either a deer turns and comes to your grunt call or he ignores you. Yeah. I've never, I don't know that I've ever had a negative response as a severe negative response to a grunt call. So you haven't hunted I'd East Texas it, enough. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. They get weird down there, man. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, they, uh, you usually, um, they either just ignore it or, or they'll come mm-hmm. and they're less likely to come the later in the season it gets. So I'll, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, um, I don't know if you're a, a sense kind of guy. Uh, I'm kind of have mixed opinions on them, but some, sometimes it's, you know, everything, every little thing helps. Uh, do you think that bucks do perk up uh, with the scent of an estrus doe, and would you use an estrus scent later in the year? Um, I use doe and heat lures from the end, middle of October, you know, right into, I, I wouldn't say late December, like, you know, right now, um, they're all about food. So mm-hmm. it's around here. I mean, like, like I said, we've had 41 inches of snow already this year. Oh. They're just trying to make a living right yeah, now. Sure. They don't care. They, they couldn't care less about going to, to a scent, mm-hmm. but man, in late October and through November, um, I've had really good success getting deer to, I, I use it to get them in front of a trail camera. Yeah. Um, like a scrape dripper or a good fresh scent in a, in an existing scrape with a trail camera on it. That's one of the best ways there is to, um, you know, inventory the deer that are there. And I use it on these hunts when I'm going for a week or so. Um, I'll, I'll make sure I get it any time in November that I'm hunting or from the last week in October on. I'll make sure I get a couple scrape drippers with some active uh, active scrape lure or, or uh, you know, some of the best. Uh, like Golden Scrape is a good one that's put out by Wildlife Research Center. That's a really good one. And you'll you'll you can inventory the deer on the property pretty well by getting some fresh lure in those scrapes mm-hmm. and a trail camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, how you said basically, if you if you know where the food is and you know where the bedding is, that's you know that's kind of late season. You're they're going to be bed to food pretty hard, kind of like early season. So, are you hunting? closer to bedding typically or closer to food or and how do you typically like to set up this time of year you know the, the hunting pressure is way down this time of the year the rifle seasons are over and the beer the deer are starting to relax a little bit you know what i'm saying so they're they're coming out into the fields earlier than they typically would and so i'm i'm generally trying to set up a little closer to the food um, but just off the fields, a lot of times the bigger bucks will still hang back. The does and younger bucks will go out in the open and the bigger bucks will, they'll be 20 or 40 yards back in the woods, just kind of wait until it's almost dark or kind of observing the deer that are out in the field to, you know, raise their comfort level of before exposing themselves. So mm-hmm. that's typically where I'm going to be is 20 to 40 yards off the actual food source. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like are you working uh, do you typically like to be if you're going to be in for instance a field like that is it a inside corner uh, area or are you going to be just uh you know back off of any trail that you can find that you think uh is a good heavy trail going into that well i usually if there isn't snow on the ground of course if there's snow on the ground it's really obvious where they're entering the field Mm -hmm. um if there's not then i'll typically set up a stand somewhere where I got the wind to my advantage and I could see the entire field and I call it an observation stand. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm not 
as much actually trying to shoot a deer as I am trying to figure out where the best spot to kill one is the next day or the day after that. And uh, just try to really get a feel for where these deer are coming into the field and then uh, then make your move. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, do you have any more Minnesota tags that you're going to get out there and brave that 41 inches of snow with? I, I, I do have a tag. And I've got a few does that are coming out here to paw through trying to get to those radishes that are in my food plot. But uh, I... I don't know if I need another deer in the freezer that bad right now. <laughs> so, it sounds like you, you were know, ready I, to go hunt some key deer or something. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah. you know, I used to, and I, you know, I killed two bears this year too. And I, you know, used to be when I, I raised five kids, my wife and I did, and they're all gone now. So we're like, how much venison do we really need? You know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but man, we, one time I think my son Cody was about, five years old and and uh my wife went and bought ribeyes for my birthday and i grilled the ribeyes and he's about five and he says what what are we eating here and i, and I said that's uh beef it comes from a cow and he's looked at me he goes you shot a cow <laughs> and, you know i mean that tells you how they grew up yeah, yeah. no kidding that's funny man what are you uh what are you doing with that bear meat i love the bear meat yeah mm. i'm also uh, breakfast sausage summer sausage we do a few roasts in the slow cooker, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly just use breakfast sausage and summer sausages. I got some, a lot of videos on my YouTube channel about about bear meat and uh, um, and how to you know make it into something really good. Bear meat's pretty good, depending on what the bears have been eating. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And if you're hunted baited baited bears, you know they're they're eating grains and pastries and trail mix and stuff like that, and they're pretty darn good eating. Yes, they sound I like meat. Them, I, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, you know, I tell, I call them sugar finished. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> That's like pretty it. good. That is pretty good, man. Well, it, it sounds tasty. It sound, yeah. does for sure. I hope you, uh, uh, well, if you don't need the meat, I guess you are, do you ever do any of the, the donation things like the hunters for the hunger or anything like that? Uh, not very often. Yeah. Um, that's a great, that those are great things. Oh, I love it that people have that opportunity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for and, sure. I think uh, I've never done it either, but I've definitely done the, uh, you know, toss a buddy, you know, 10 or 15 pounds of meat kind of thing. I think that, uh, you know, in some way, shape, or form, it's pretty good to be able to share that stuff. Usually between Tyler and I, it's, uh, hey, dude, I had a tough season, so can can I have some? (laughs) And that's where I'm at right now, and that's why I uh, am glad that you were on here to kind of tell me, give me some confidence as to why I actually can still kill a buck with only, uh, you know, two weeks left in in the season. So thanks for that. Yeah. So, um, I guess the next, you know, next couple of months we've got, uh, late seasons, um, in a lot of the, you know, Northern States, I guess. And you've also got some kind of wacky ruts that happen in the South, uh, in the areas we're from, we're actually kind of like right in the heart of the rut, uh, in South Texas. Um, and then there's going to be some just crazy things that happen from what I understand in different parts of the South. Uh, do you ever, take off and chase any of those uh late late rut hunts this uh this time of year and if not what else is out there this time of year that's fun you know i i've only hunted the south i I hunted south texas twice both times in january and uh there was some rutting activity going on it was primarily over i think but Mm -hmm. there was some rutting activity going on and uh in fact, it's I've killed 120, 130 deer with a bow, and the only two that I've ever killed with a rifle was in 
South Texas. That's right. So that's how they do it. <laughs> um, that's how they do it. And you're sitting, you sitting in a blind and, and, uh, and they, where I was at, it was just a, a guy that invited me to come down and do a story. And, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the, uh, the, uh, the big, uh, Muy Grande buck contest yep. in Fort oh, yeah. Texas. Yeah. Okay. So as a fellow that was a friend of the guy who owns that, that gas station and all that, and he said, why don't you come down and do a story on this Muy Grande big buck? It's like the oldest big buck contest in the, in the U.S. And I said, that sounds like fun. And but I don't think I'm going to drive all the way to Texas to do the story. He says, well, you come out to my place. I'll give you, I'll buy you a tag and you can shoot a management buck. And I said, you're on. <laughs> and uh, so I went down and did that. And it was just all kinds of fun. And, of course, they they don't trust you to recognize a five-year-old deer because a management buck is a deer that's five years or older and eight points or less. Mm -hmm. So they, they send somebody out to the stand with you and you sit in a box blind out there with your rifle. And, and he said, no, you can't shoot that one. No, you can't shoot that one. And then here comes a really old one. I'm look at that one, that one there. Can I shoot that one? He said, yeah, you can shoot that one. So I shot him as a big old mature eight pointer. And uh, then he goes, shoot some javelina. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I'm about to shoot a Havilland, and he goes, "No, wait, wait till there are two of them together and shoot two at once." <laughs> and he, he just watch; they'll kind of cross back and forth. So, I, uh, um, I waited till two of them were lined up, and I shot and killed both of them. And he's like, "Nice, you know." So that that was all kinds of fun, but you know, the, awesome. the, realistically, I don't think I'm an expert on where a guy sh- should hunt in the South. Uh, at this time of the year, because yeah, you know, I, 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 if there's snow on the ground and if it's cold, it's these deer are really predictable in the Midwest, but, uh, mm-hmm. I better not say much about areas that I haven't done. <laughs> well, what about, so, I mean, is this ice fishing season for you or do you go and do something else? I know you mentioned, um, and I can't remember if this was off air or not, but we talked about how you and your wife were really wanting to see some palm trees this time of year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was joking with her. It was 23 to 23 below this morning. I was joking with my wife before she went to work. Like, let's just get in the truck and drive south until we see palm trees, you know? And, uh, but we get pretty stir crazy about February. Mm, ice fishing's big up here. I'm not much of an ice fisherman. Being an outdoor writer, I spend an awful lot of time in front of the computer meeting deadlines and getting stories that are going to go out next summer and fall. You know, I got to get all that done. And, and, uh, but ice fishing is huge up here. You know, they, they have some, a lot, tens of thousands of ice houses out on some of the lakes and they plow roads out to them and everything like that. Mm-hmm. It's big business up here. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, Bernie, we appreciate you coming on and doing this, um, for the listener that's interested, man, how they get a hold of your books and, and, uh, also your YouTube channel and that kind of thing. Yeah. My YouTube channel is called bow hunting road and there's a lot of whitetail stuff on there. A lot of bear stuff. I, I, I do a few whitetail hunts that I put on there. I also do a lot of instructional stuff on everything from trail cameras and lures and, and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, a lot of road trip stuff, a lot of information about how to be successful on a bow hunting road trip far from home. And that's what my book's about. The book's called the freelance bow hunter. And, uh, if it's on, um, you can get it on my website or on Amazon or anything. My website's bucksbullsbears.com, and you get on there and just click on buy stuff, and, and you'll find the book. And uh, that book has just really done well. I mean, it's such a tight niche. I thought, do I really want to write a book about just for the guy that's traveling to another 
state to hunt and how to how to save money and where to stay, you know, how to hunt public property um, and things like that. And, you know, I, I hunt public property really aggressively. Mm-hmm. And it's been, uh, the book has done really, really well. And Tom Miranda did a real nice review of it that helped. And um, so that's bucksbullsbears.com. You can find that. And then the, the YouTube channel is uh, Bow Hunting Road. And I, I never set out to be a YouTuber, but I got 8 million views and 13,000 subscribers now. So All right. it's really taken off. That's great, man. That's proof that what you're putting out is good stuff, man. So thank you. We will uh, we'll have to link to that in the show notes. So if you're listening, make sure you look through the show notes and find where you want to go next. Bernie, appreciate it a lot, man. I hope you stay warm up there. And if uh, you get a chance to fill that tag, send us some pictures. I'll do that. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, man. You bet. Well, I am definitely not jealous that old uh, Bernie has had weather that is literally 90 degrees below <laughs> the what we're oh, sitting in right now. my goodness. <laughs> Maybe almost 100. It was, yeah. What is it, like 20-something below, right? I don't so, know. It's freezing way too cold for me <laughs> up there. It is 71 here, and it is not nearly that up I've there. thrown around the thoughts of going up there and hunting in October, and I'm afraid that I might freeze to death in October <laughs> up there. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah. I, I, and that video, one degree yeah. shows up. Uh, and it's not one degrees, by the way, guys. <laughs> it's only one. <laughs> one degree. <laughs> it's singular. <laughs> it's singular. One degree shows up in the YouTube video. Yep. That is unreal. Let me tell you this. We didn't look. It, it had been dropping, and uh-huh. we didn't look after that. It yeah. might have been zero. Might have hit zero. <laughs> zero degree. Is I it, do is, know. Is it zero degrees or a degree? It's uh I don't know. That's I feel a tough like one. ooh, because there's it's not singular or plural. It's that yeah. point. It's none. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> what's the inverse of zero? No one knows. Um, so uh, that morning, um, you had on like a toboggan that I didn't even know you had on because I didn't l- look at you. It was that cold. Like I'm pretty sure I had on my like murder mystery mask and yeah. like I didn't move anything except my eyeballs like i i was afraid to move my neck because maybe wind might get between my we, s- we my... saw some some good deer movement otherwise i don't think there would have been any b-roll happening no no but, it was tough man yeah it was a, it, that was a cold morning man um i i hope i don't hack some people off by wearing that beanie but that's an old beanie that i just had the nike like, one yeah yeah. yeah, they make hunting boots, even though they're anti-hunting. So whatever, <laughs> okay, okay. whatever you want, whatever. Yeah. I thought somebody would get me on that, you know, possibly. Yeah. So I uh, hope that hope everybody's okay with me wearing like a ten-year-old beanie from Nike. Uh, yeah, were y'all in Nike school at SMU? Uh, we were the first two years under yeah. Bennett. Yeah, and yeah. then we were Adidas, yeah. which was dumb after that. You didn't like Adidas? No, really? Not at least back then. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever gear they were giving us back then, I think they were just getting into American football. Yeah, they were wearing so. cottons. Yeah, here's some cotton <laughs> shirts for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Nike stuff was legit though, yeah. and I still have a bunch of it. Stole a bunch of it. Yeah, <laughs> which they 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 gave it to us, but <laughs> pretty much <laughs> got a funny. helmet or two, you know, some yeah. gloves. Hey, yep. guys, these are going to be outside today. We're throwing them away. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. But anyways, uh, we froze to death that morning, and uh, which uh, I'm glad that we've heard a little bit about how to shoot deer when it's super cold mm-hmm. um, because I hope to never have to hunt it again. So it'd <laughs> be great if I can kill in October for the rest of time. But uh, we didn't this year, so um, that video was so good for, what, 24 hours? Yeah, right? I think that's that right. That passed in that whole yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Lots of big deer. 
Was there was there an afternoon hunt in there before? Or does it just morning? We were in the in the big cottonwood. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Also freezing to death. I actually also saw the big eight. It is I guess it's thirty two hours or whatever, thirty six hours because that morning it was snowing sideways. Oh, that's right. We didn't happened. do anything. Nothing, <laughs> nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> we just sat in the truck and watched it pelt the side of your glass. That's right. <laughs> and laughed a yeah, lot, probably. We yeah, we did. We, uh, we, we, so then we hunted that afternoon and saw the big eight. And that's why the next, that's why you went back in there, I guess, mm-hmm. that next day or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah. So, which was a good idea. It was a good idea. It was just, uh, maybe the wrong tree or something. We, we definitely made some wrong moves, but, we're figuring this stuff out. When you're hunting new properties, man, stuff like it's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you're out of state. You only got a few, few, uh, you know, days to get it done. Sometimes, and then things change the next time you get up there. So, um, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the other day. I'm hoping that we can get out and do some hog hunting uh, after the season because that's that's a good time. And and uh, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, I'm hoping that we can kind of have a have a have a good hog hunt this year because we've been a couple of years without really seeing just a ton of hogs on public around here which in is Texas. dumb but i think part of it's because we are whitetail hunters through and through and um almost always am i choosing a place like oh, i'd also like to see some of the whitetail activity in that area mm-hmm. and i think there'll be hogs in there mm-hmm. you know so i think that that happens a lot mm-hmm. for me at least but uh, i bet you we can and shoot i might be uh needing to uh that way i've got something to eat besides chicken i got some deer meat for you bro oh cool uh, <laughs> we I, i've been wanting to do i mean i don't know why when you get to this point in the season a lot of stuff starts to creep into your mind as far as like fishing which we were talking about earlier uh since it's 71 right <laughs> yeah the squirrel hunting stuff which i have grown to really enjoy that squirrel hunters too that we do every year mm-hmm. Uh, small game Saturday kind of thing, and then uh, the hog hunt as well. If we're going to be able to pull that off, so I'm hoping we can we can do some fun stuff like that in January and February instead of go ATA. But um, anyway, we will see if that happens. We uh, like I said, we said earlier the video um, is out. It's really cool. I'm going to try to release the last part of that video, which is also pretty insane. Um, in the next day or two, probably like a day or two after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so once that happens, uh, I'm probably going to bring a duck hunt next to the table, even though chronologically it's out of order. Um, there's some pretty uh, uh, popular themes during this um, <laughs> during this duck hunting video that you guys will get to see. So I think it's, it's timely for us to do that. And then we'll get back on track with... Um, I think I was up next after that as far as our Hot series dog. go. Things so. die. Things die. That's all we're going to say. That's <laughs> right. That's right. So That's cool, man. Anyway. That's exciting. I'm ready to see that vid. I mean, I've seen just a little bit of stuff from it, you know, but I I wasn't there for that whole trip, so that'll be a fun thing to see. And I wasn't there for the duck hunt either, so yeah. I'd be interested to watch that as well. Those are always fun. Yeah. Um, well, and Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. It's, it's a fun time of year. Uh, honestly... Um, I need Christmas right now. As weird as that sounds, uh, it probably doesn't sound weird, but to me, like, uh, I just kind of need um, something, not a break from hunting, but something to make sure that I don't just concentrate and be so single-minded on just hunting and killing deer, mm-hmm. right? And uh, this year, it comes at a good time for me. So uh, yep. I'm uh, glad we're having a good Christmas. This is the last Christmas for me and my wife without a baby just has so, a two yeah has a couple. Has, has two of us so we're going to kind of enjoy it but look forward to the future uh guys if you're at a family christmas make sure that you're involved plugged in because uh family is a pretty precious thing and uh 
we talk about a lot and the older I get the more I really start to realize like how important it is to even make sure you have a conversation with people you don't even like to talk to that much sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell you the truth of the matter because uh, even if you're not that close you're probably going to miss them one day when they're gone so uh, cherish those moments if you talk to somebody this Christmas and the reason for the season comes up make sure you expand upon that because uh, it's a really like feng shui thing to say the reason for the season but if you don't get into that and actually comprehend or like at least explain to someone that uh you know christ being born is a big deal because he died is a big deal mm-hmm. and and was risen and that's a big deal like the whole thing's the whole story right yeah and, yeah. and, and if uh, and uh, not to get off on a complete tangent tangent but i mean this is stuff that you and i are both pretty passionate about right mm-hmm. like uh, if, if that's something that you want to know more about and, uh, maybe you're like, why do you always talk about that? Just <laughs> shoot us a message. It's, I mean, if there's anything I want to talk about more with you, it, the, the, or there isn't anything I want to sure, talk about yeah. more with you than that. So, uh, anyways, guys, hope yeah. y'all have a really Merry Christmas and, and I've got you. a shameless plug. Oh, uh, my church has been doing a podcast. Let's hear it. Uh, it's calling, it's called asking for a friend. Yeah. Uh, if you have any, uh, We've been doing, so throughout December, we've been doing um, episodes uh, in kind of like in regards to Christmas. And so like, you know, questions like, uh, why the wise men? Uh, What should I do about Santa Claus? Different things like that. Like how should Christians approach Christmas? All those different kind of subjects. And so I actually run it and I guess uh, uh, MC it or whatever, you know, and produce it. Um, And then uh, some of the elders at my church... um, are the guys that weigh in on all this stuff. So anyway, Looking just some thoughts. If you're interested in listening to podcasts other than uh, us and the meat eater, then you can, <laughs> you can go check out uh, something like that. It's called asking for a friend. It's by believers Baptist. Yeah. Lots of smart church. dudes on that, on that podcast, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to the wise man one. Cause I did a study on the Magi a couple weeks ago. Ooh. So I want to, I want to see what, what y'all got to say. Yeah. Cause it's kind of yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. They go through the history, history of that. And the history, the history, <laughs> the historical <laughs> of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, apparently all the smart guys on that podcast are not me. So. <laughs> That's not true. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Merry Christmas. Like Casey said, and remember this is your element living it. Hey guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls, and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds i like pot calls i just like pot calls i enjoy calling with a pot call whatever direction you go including a box call which i don't personally use too much but they're fun and great and i started out with them yanni on the other hand one of my main turkey hunting buddies he loves box calls and what's funny is i'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey so 
it's not that I don't like them. I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.